Hello, and welcome to Being Well. I'm Forrest Hansen. Today, I have the pleasure of welcoming number one New York Times bestselling author, international speaker, and spirit junkie, Gabrielle Bernstein, to the show. Gabby is the number one New York Times bestselling author of seven books, including The Universe Has Your Back, Spirit Junkie, and her newest book, Super Attractor, Methods for Manifesting a Life Beyond Your Wildest Dreams. She's been named a new thought leader by Oprah on her show, Super Soul Sunday, a new role model by the New York Times, and co-hosted the Guinness World Record for largest ever group meditation alongside Deepak Chopra. She's also been featured on a wide variety of media outlets, including Elle and The Today Show, and appears regularly as an expert on The Dr. Oz Show. Super Attractor, her newest book, is a journey of remembering where your true power lies. In it, Gabby shares powerful methods for confidently claiming your desires and co-creating the life you want. Gabby, thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. How are you doing? Be with you, Forrest. Thank yeah. you. So you're just coming off of an event last night in San Francisco, mm-hmm. part of your book tour. How was that for you? Fantastic. I'm coming off of a very busy past three weeks, two yeah, and a half weeks. Yeah, I have to imagine. And this is the, this is like one of the sort of last things of this week, really. So I'm I'm in a very mellow state. <laughs> you, you feel like you're sliding into home base on the weekend a little I'm bit. I'm sliding into home base. That's right. Mm-hmm. When I've seen the videos, the pictures that you guys post on social media of these events that you're doing, it feels like there's a very kind of special energy that's created inside yeah. of those environments by the yeah. people who are there. And I'm really curious, do you ever feel any kind of a pressure inside of those environments to give as much as you can to perform for people? Is it more fulfilling? Does it fill you up? Or do you feel like you're pushing out with it? It's mo- the most fulfilling thing mm-hmm. in my life other than being a mother. That's fantastic. It's my art. Yeah. It's my passion, my purpose, my mission. I perceive myself as a channel mm. through which I express the truth that I believe in, but a, a universal truth and allow people to resonate in that in my truth. And I think that the only way to make an impact as a speaker is to stand very authentically in your truth and just just really be the, let your presence be your power rather than your words. That's actually a Yogi Bhajan quote. I was about to say, that's a really beautiful message. Mm-hmm. And I mean, in your books, you've really shared the story of kind of claiming that truth increasingly as your life has gone on. And mm. you share a lot of personal stories of your your developmental process into this kind of work. And I think to kind of ground this conversation and maybe frame it for people, would really appreciate if you could do that, if you're comfortable with it. Yeah. You know, I share countless stories through, of my about my own personal journey throughout all of my books. When I was in my early literary career and speaking career. I was speaking often about being a sober woman and newly sober at the time. This is 15 years ago. And then I began to write more about my... You know, it's interesting. I've written seven books and they're all... Each year that I write a book, I've written seven books in eight years. And each year that I write a book, it's reflective of where I am at at that time. Mm. And so when we come now to my seventh book, Super Attractor, it's... This the, people keep asking me on this book tour, why did you write this book? Hmm. And I, my answer is because I wanted to feel good. So <laughs> that's a great reason. It was so good, and and so this is actually like 
the most fun I've ever had on a book tour mm-hmm. because I'm living the truths that are in the book. And even writing the book was so joyful. I didn't really answer your question, but I'm I'm finding my way into I what thought that I that was say. a fantastic answer. <laughs> yeah, no, I thought that that absolutely did. So as you said, this is your seventh book. It's been, I think it's fair to say, wildly successful. I'll definitely say it if no one else will. I think I'll this say is, it. Oh yeah, it's I can, been wildly successful. And the reason successful. I can say it right now mm is because it's wildly successful because I my ego wasn't in it. Hmm. You know, I've had a lot of other books and I've had some some successes. The ones that have been the most successful have been the ones that I didn't expect or wasn't trying too hard. And in the instances where I was trying or pushing, like you know, maybe a little like, you know, good success because the content was meaningful, yeah. but it it didn't have that that flow and that energy behind it because my pushing energy is the op at that time mm. is the opposite of what I refer to as a super attractor. Mm. So I can see now that in, you know in the, in the launch of this book that it's a real reflection of the methods in the book because and a reflection of that it's a really good book and I can say that with yeah. a lot of confidence but also humility mm-hmm. because when I write my books I I I see it as a collaborative effort. You know, I really let myself just be a vessel to let a lot come through. So, I'm really tooting my own horn right now, but I think that's actually part of what being a super attractor is, mm. which means that we're committed to feeling good and we're committed to strengthening our faith in our connection to a higher power. And that when we, or 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 inspiration, if you don't believe in a higher power, inspiration, intuition, and that when you live in that way, you can create far more than you ever contemplated. Mm. And then you will dwell in a really confident place because you see that your true power lies in your capacity to let inspiration move through you. Mm. That's, again, a really wonderful reflection for sure. And I've already kind of mentioned what it means to you to be a super attractor in some ways. And you've alluded to here one of the blocks that you mentioned Mm. that might get in the way of being able to do that effectively, sort of saying times in the past where you felt like you were really pushing. Yes. There are a lot of phrases that you've used both inside this book and in other books, things like being a manic manifester Mm -hmm. or having your effort kind of almost get in the way of your ability to take in. What are some of those key blocks that can kind of get in the way of somebody becoming a super attractor? And again, you've already told a beautiful story here of one example of you kind of running into that. Right, that's the pusher block, right? The Mm -hmm. the belief system that if I don't do it, nobody else will. And really being in that story and stuck in that story makes you push, push, control, try to force things into form. And that energy is not sexy. That energy is mm. not the kind of energy that someone wants to employ or date or give a raise to, you know. So you can see if you're a pusher and how it's totally not working. Mm. And then there's the manic manifester. And that's someone who is sort of, coming, this is the person that comes up to me at my talk and they're like, Gabby, I'm reading all the books and I'm meditating twice a day and maybe sometimes three times a day and I'm drinking all the green <laughs> juice and I'm listening to all the podcasts and I'm doing yoga, 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 you know, but I'm not manifesting. And that's because they're using their spiritual practice as another form of avoiding or another form of pushing mm-hmm. or another form of controlling. So that's the manic manifester. And then there's ways when we judge we're out of alignment with our super attractor power. When we're stuck in fear, we're out of alignment in our super attractor power. So I address all that in the book. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the ones that you just mentioned at the end there that is absolutely a major topic inside your work in general is fear. Mm-hmm. And one of the lines that you used in the book that really stuck with me is the framing of people as having an addiction to fear. And I yeah. thought that that was a really intriguing way to frame it. And I was wondering if we could just kind of unpack that a little bit here. Like, what did you mean by that? So 
Fear is the root cause that lives beneath addiction, right? So it's, Mm. you know, if if we are addicted to drugs or alcohol, we're addicted to food or addicted to binging or sex or whatever it is, it's because we're running from fear. Mm. We're trying to anesthetize fear. And then underneath all that is the addiction to the fear, the perpetual belief that we repurpose and replay and project and recycle and then project again and really build up around ourselves that becomes the tapestry of our life. It becomes the story of our life. The books I write are all about undoing that fear so that you can just remember who you really are. Mm. Yeah. My books are really an unlearning in many ways. I think that there's ways in which that fear that you're pointing to, and certainly this is this is in Rick's work. He's my common guest on this podcast all over the place, and he's also my dad. And he talks about fear as being in a lot of ways our biological heritage. Yeah. And the things that may have been very useful for us as a species 10,000 years ago, 100,000 years ago to stay alive are not necessarily the same things that are useful for us to thrive and to grow in this world. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of the work that we do as psychologically inclined people, thoughtful people, is about that process of finding the instincts inside of ourselves that are kind of in alignment versus those that are out of alignment. Yes. What's getting in the way of what we want to do versus what's in support of that. Yeah. And one of the things that you really bring up kind of in lines with that is how a lot of people have kind of a resistance to feeling good. Definitely. And that's a real emphasis, particularly I would say in this book, in your work in general. And so to kind of explore that for a second, what do you really mean by this idea that people are afraid of feeling good? We rely on our fear and our control and our judgment to play safe but it's a false sense of safety. So we we turn to those belief systems of I need to control everything to feel safe and I have to make everything happen in order to be, be successful because we have a tremendous amount of fear that if we let go and relied on feeling good, that nothing would happen, that we wouldn't be good enough, that we wouldn't be loved, that we wouldn't have success. And so... When I say let go, I don't mean just sit on your meditation pillow and don't do anything. Yeah, There's a big chapter in the book called Spiritually Aligned Action, which mm-hmm. is all about taking action, big action, but from a place of spiritual alignment rather than the place of fear. So our false perception of fear and using fear as a way of playing safe has been one of the major blocks to being happy, being joyful, and then trusting and believing that that joy is the ultimate creator. Hmm. You're taking it in. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, I'm, it's, uh, I think that with a lot of this material, the best way to interact with it for me personally, just speaking of myself, is to try to kind of, again, to use a phrase that we use sometimes on this podcast, I feel like you're awash in a river of causes. Mm-hmm. And there are kind of ways to two different ways to interact with the river of your life that's moving you along. Yeah. And the first way to interact with it is you got the paddle in your hands mm-hmm. and you are thrashing away in there. And yeah, sometimes that gets you down the river a little bit faster, but man, what are the costs of that? And then there are way, the ways to interact with it where you allow yourself to feel carried along by your good purposes. Yeah. Where you feel like the good impulses in your life are not things that you necessarily need to grab and raise or grab and pull towards yourself, but rather that you feel like you can give yourself over to them. Yes. And that's maybe you know another another metaphor, another framing of a lot of the things you talk about. Yeah, in the book, I reference this great teachings of Abraham Hicks. Mm-hmm. Tw- Twenty six times they're referenced in my book mm-hmm. because it was a big influence of this book. 
And Abraham talks about, you know, going against the stream or going with the stream. When we learn how to, to flow with the stream, life becomes really easy. Life becomes joyful. Difficult situations have feel guided even when they are difficult. Mm. And we attract less difficult situations because we're in alignment with that stream. Mm. So that's what the whole book's about. It's about feeling good. When yeah. we're feeling good, we're in we're in the flow with the stream. Yeah, and speaking of which, one of the lines in the book that you have that you really pull out and emphasize is the key to feeling good is to decide to stop feeling bad. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember the day that I wrote that and I was like, whoa. Because I thought about the reader that would be sitting there depressed or broke mm. or just having had a mental, uh, you know, a mental illness or a diagnosis and thinking, well, Gabby, how the hell would I decide to stop yeah, feeling it's, bad? I mean, it's a natural objection. I'm well, sure it's one you've heard a lot. Yeah, yeah. And I, I would I would say to that reader, first and foremost, you wouldn't be reading this book or listening to this podcast if you weren't deciding to feel good. So mm. take that. And then if you're in a place where you haven't gotten here yet and someone's you know thinking about that friend, like how could they possibly decide to feel good? The darkest moment in my life happened recently when I was struggling with postpartum depression and anxiety and insomnia. But I'm so grateful for that situation for many, many, many reasons. Number one, that I can speak to mental illness with so much truth now. But more importantly, that I lived that practice of deciding to feel good even when I was in my deepest despair. And to me at that time, deciding to feel good was as simple as saying that, okay, today I'm going to walk a little bit longer because that might give me a little bit of freedom. Mm. Or I I know that I'm being guided and I'm going to pray about it more today. Or just the simple, simple, subtle shifts began the journey of undoing the chaotic state that I was in and guiding me Mm. out of it, right? Mm -hmm. And guiding me out of it to, you know, medical help and whatever it was that I needed to really be free from that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I want to kind of live here a little bit longer if you're comfortable with it, Mm -hmm. because I think that this is a area where a lot of people have a lot of kind of false understandings of some things that are said here around the idea of kind of decide to feel good. So Mm -hmm. to drill down a little bit for maybe somebody who's dealing with one of those chronic problems or somebody who's in a really low resource environment and maybe they don't have access to the kind of medical care that I would certainly wish that they had access to or the kind of resources in their life that I would certainly wish that they have access to. Yeah. What can that person do? And maybe in small ways, similar to the just choose to walk a little bit more that day, as you just said, mm. in order to move into that stance of like, I want to feel good and to I'm start. Tell a story to about that. somebody that I was just with this morning. Please. Yeah. That I think would be a really good example. So, one of my students is this young woman named Kiara, and she's from New Orleans, and she was brought up in a lot of poverty and family struggles and things. Mm. And she found my work. I guess it must have been online. She found my work and she was moved by the beginning stages of what I have is called a Spirit Junkie Masterclass, which is a training for spiritual entrepreneurs. And she was like really lit up by it and mm. wanted it. Mm-hmm. And I put out some things saying like, you know, we're going to take some applications or, you know, we're going to give some free classes to people or free admission. And so she submitted and just like blew our minds and jumped off the page, just jumped off the page. And, and then, you know, came to the masterclass. And then the next year I said, you know, why don't you come to the level two? Cause your energy is so good. She came to level two. Then I said, why don't you come back to level one and then come back to level two. And every year she's a staple. And then she made such close friends at the masterclass that one of those friends helped her pick up and move to San Diego and begin a different life and get away from her community and the stories of her life. Right. 
And then she's continuing to like meet me wherever I am and somehow shows up and somehow gets the plane ticket and somehow took the bus seven hours to meet me in LA. And then last night took another bus, eight hours, whatever it was to come from LA to San Francisco on a bus. And then last night I'm looking at Kiara and I'm like, wait, you're going to take a bus at midnight tonight to back to San Diego? I was like, hell no, you're sleeping over my house. I'm buying you a flight tomorrow. That's I'll awesome. see you at the next level too. Yeah. You're gonna, I'm going to fly you in, put you up. You know, But that's all because she decided to feel good. That's because she decided to lean into something that felt mm. better mm-hmm. and be in alignment with that good feeling desire and belief. And here she is and her life is completely different. Last night, she's watching me. We had no food in the house. And for some reason, San Francisco, I was really surprised, would not deliver to me after 11 o'clock. <laughs> what the hell? And I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to make, you know, I'm going to make this like random thing with all the like the yeah. almond flour and the yogurt that I had in my house like, <laughs> in my Airbnb. And I'm like I'm trying things. And she goes, honey, in my town, we would have called that a struggle meal. <laughs> <laughs> And so, you know, it's like this this woman who grew up with so much and, and you know, and, and racism and just all that she grew up with as, a, as an African-American woman. Mm. And she's just thriving right now as a yeah. result of living in that truth. What this kind of reminds me of, the story that you're telling here and the distinctions that you're making that I think are really good distinctions around the kind of effort that we have in our lives and the way that we bring effort into it. Remind me just of the, the Buddhist phrase, just wise effort. Mm. And that seems to be what's kind of underlining a lot of what you're saying, because Mm -hmm. to me at least, and and you tell me, you appear as this highly directed, very motivated, very go-getting person. Mm -hmm. Uh, You have a a background in PR. When you were transitioning out of that work, you've written about fine-tuning your speaking skills and really working to establish a good foundation of emotional and economic health so you could take this jump into doing this other kind of work. That all seems like really good, wise effort. Mm -hmm. And the effort in the story that you're describing feels like really good, wise effort. So what I'm searching for here is the line between that kind of effort, that wise effort, and the sort of flailing around that you were describing earlier, either as a manic manifester or as somebody who's like trying to make things happen, as you write, is one of the greatest blocks to manifesting. So Mm -hmm. like, how do we find that line? What does that line feel like maybe? So... You say wise effort, I say spiritually aligned action. Sure, totally. It's the same thing. First is knowing the difference. First, it's about recognizing what taking action from a place of misalignment actually feels like, how it doesn't work, how it feels blocked, how you mm-hmm. can sense the, that you're deflecting people around you. Then doing the necessary steps or taking the necessary steps to get into alignment reading a book like Super Attractor, listening to a podcast like this, beginning a spiritual practice or a personal growth practice to identify all the the fear-based belief systems that are keeping you out of that alignment. Undo them. Go for it. Live in that way. Me living in alignment and sitting here and saying, oh, this book was so relaxed and everything came from 15, well, really 39 years of devotional mm-hmm. effort towards f- becoming more and more free. Yeah. So the more free we become, the more we release the resistance, the more conscious commitment we bring to our own personal growth and well-being, the easier it becomes to take wise effort or spiritually aligned action. Yeah, absolutely. And so talking about becoming increasingly free, 
over time, which I think is a great way, by the way, to frame this whole thing. Mm. I mean, I don't know. It could be a tagline for the podcast fundamentally, mm-hmm. become increasingly free, particularly mm. from the the things, whether they're psycho-emotional states, fears, concerns, blocks on manifesting, whatever it might be, the things that hold you back. I think it's a wonderful way to put it. And you've certainly gone through that process in your life. But I think that sometimes it's really easy to look at the person who's up on the stage as you were just the other night with this big group of people and kind of drop into almost a negative sense of comparison with them. And yeah. yeah, what I, I'm sure you're familiar with what I mean by that, but just like, wow, that person's got it all figured out. Yeah. They're doing so great. I'm over here. I'm not doing the things I want yeah. to do. Blah, 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 blah. And one of the things I really appreciate about you and about your this book and your work in general is how transparent you are yeah. about the ways in which you've struggled. Yeah. And if you're comfortable with it, I'm wondering if you could share a story about a time, maybe more recently, even since you've been through this good flow in your life, where you felt like you dropped out of alignment and yeah. what that felt like for you and how mm-hmm. you kind of got back into it. I think I probably spent most of my life up until very recently in and out of alignment daily. Mm. And so it's, I probably spent a tremendous amount of time out of alignment. I was just so committed to getting back in. And the work that I'd been doing up until this point was mastering my comeback rate. How quickly can I come back? How quickly can I come back? And that had a lot of purpose because that got me into the habit of coming back. And then the habit of coming back gave me a greater sense of safety year after year after year, only to get to the place where I could really live in a different way. So it let you exit that fear cycle effectively. Yes, it it, it has actually. Mm. Yeah, it really has. Yeah, because if you're, if you're not as afraid of the moments where you fall off the wagon, then... That and it has given me... So let's just be real. You know, I think that the reason that someone can see me standing on that stage and maybe they want to compare, but they don't because they know that I'm not just standing there with like my good highlights and fancy shoes, you know, just kind of (laughs) like, just kind of like, you know, bullshitting them. Yeah. They know that I'm standing there as someone who is a woman in 14 years of sober recovery, a woman who has survived sexual childhood trauma a woman who has survived mental illness, postpartum anxiety, depression, insomnia, a woman who has survived gut conditions from that trauma. And the list kind of goes on. And I don't want to sit here and be like, here's my list of, war-. you know, here yeah. I'm a warrior. Mm-hmm. But I mention it over and over to help the reader see like, oh, she's not perfect. She's had a lot of struggle. But she devoted her life to this spiritual faith of her own understanding. And that faith is what has let her be the person on that stage with confidence standing there. So when I see a lot of people get up and they say to me, you know, Gabby, I want to be a speaker. I want to do this. And I look at them and I can see the work that still needs to be done mm. within them, mm-hmm. not the work on how to become a public speaker. Yeah. You know, like That's bullshit. That's, that's, <laughs> that's the easy part. Yeah. The bigger part is clearing the blocks to the presence of your authentic truth your connection to feeling good inspiration, your connection to a God of your own understanding mm. and freedom. Because mm-hmm. look, you know, I had, I, I've been speaking publicly for, for 14, almost 15 years. And in that time, I have changed tremendously. But even 14 and a half years ago, when I was getting up on the stage, I was very authentic because I was talking about where I was then. So it's your representation of your of your true self in that moment, wherever wherever you I am. To be. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think that's a great teaching for all of us, probably, yeah. and myself included. 
of all the things that are in the book, probably the single little paragraph or two thing that I will personally take the most into my own life is where you talk. And it's, it's just a small thing. It's funny how sometimes it's like the little, you know, one paragraph here, one paragraph there well, that totally. really, really sticks with you. And yeah. And for me, it was the suggestion that you gave around watching your words and the words of others. Yes. And that was like, that was crazy resonant for me. I read that one. I went, oh, okay, great. Uh, and you gave a wonderful story there of a time inside of your own business where you felt like there were some anxieties that you had around being able to get things done. Mm -hmm. And you felt that start to kind of creep into the corporate mm -hmm. culture a little mm -hmm. bit. And it definitely triggered me to look back through my own life and some, some definite instances where I've had, because my nature, as you may or may not be able to feel for me just sitting here, is that my drug of choice is anxiety. Yeah. And so and you're not alone, honey. Yeah. And by the way, I haven't noticed it. Mm, I'm glad. So, you know, you seem very centered and well, calm. Well, thank you. And I'm happy to talk here with you also about anxiety, if that would yeah. be service, a service to you too. Or to, I mean, sure, to everyone listening, because it's an epidemic. Yeah. And it's, it's really interesting because I think that in your work, it deals so intimately with fear. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. And, and fear manifests in different ways for different people. And mm -hmm. certainly for me, it's this kind of that low-grade anxious feeling. Yep. That can kind of underlie something. It's like the little tingle in the hands, the little uh, mm -hmm. feeling in the upper mm -hmm. body. Mm -hmm. The phrase that I've kind of come to recently with it that's been helpful for me is this idea of letting fizz out of the bottle. Yeah, It's nice. a very worldly one. But like yep. sometimes, you know, we all walk around like, uh, like carbonated soda. Mm -hmm. And we're just given kind of one shake too many. Mm -hmm. And you got to kind of very gently crack open the bottle and let some fizz out every once mm -hmm. in a while. And... Mm -hmm. Whether you are gently is a good word, yeah, because you don't want to shake the bottle and let it explode. Look, I think we're all traumatized. I think everyone mm. has had trauma, yeah, no matter what you want to call it. Mm -hmm. And some people, it may have impacted them more severely than others, but everyone's walking around somewhat traumatized about something. Mm. And in that state of trauma, we are in fight or flight of some form. Mm. Many people are so unaware of it that they're just living from trigger to trigger. But when you start to have a spiritual practice or a personal yeah. growth practice, you become too conscious of it to not recognize that there is a root cause there. Mm -hmm. There's a big body of work that I need to bring out into the world, and I'm going to be patient mm -hmm. and allowing it to come through about how trauma has, I don't want to say ruined our lives, but how it has ruined our lives in the way to come back to love and faith and freedom. And freedom is really the word. I'm definitely looking forward to that project. Mm -hmm. I think that'll be a great project. Mm -hmm. To speak to this enormous topic that you're raising here, the topic of of trauma and being traumatized and frankly living in a culture that can often be quite traumatizing for... Just being alive right now is traumatizing. Yeah, I would agree with that. And terrifying. And we have many things to lean into that are the opposite of freedom. So I think that we have to begin to recognize our triggers first. Mm. So if you notice yourself anxious, you could say mm -hmm. to yourself, well, what's going on right now? What am I thinking right now? What did I, what do I have tomorrow? What is it that's triggering this right now? And start to become really, just really explore it. You know, the story yeah. you were referencing in my book was mm -hmm. that I was getting really out of alignment with pushing and trying to make things happen and, and feeling like there wasn't enough time. And then my whole team started on with this mantra, there's not enough time, there's not mm -hmm. enough time. Mm -hmm. And then I had to really redirect them. And that's a different lesson, but 
the bigger message is the reason I was so feeling so uncomfortable is because things were feeling out of control. Mm. So I've learned over the last 39 years, I'll be 40 in two weeks, by the way. Wow, well, almost happy birthday. Thank you. Oh my God. (laughs) Uh, It's a little bit trippy. I've never felt like that about a birthday, but Mm. here it is, 40. But the the thing that I've learned in the last 40 years is that my biggest trigger was feeling out of control. It's a common trigger for children who have had trauma in their childhood and needing that control to feel safe. And then the anxiety often is a form of control. Mm-hmm. So it's like if I'm feeling anxious, it's because I'm trying to control something because I'm too terrified to feel what's underneath it. Mm-hmm. There's a lot in this. I definitely empathize with you. I mean, I had a really wonderful childhood from a family environment perspective. Mm-hmm. I had mm-hmm. a rather challenged one with other kids at school. Yeah, And absolutely, I think that there's a lot of similarity there actually in terms of... Yeah. My experience, very much the same of wanting to feel in control and experiences, whether they be physical experiences going on a roller coaster or ecstatic experiences or deep emotional experiences Mm -hmm. or whatever, when I first started to kind of wander into this territory of personal development, were extremely uncomfortable for me. Oh, hell yeah. Just like deeply uncomfortable. I mean, uh, we have a phrase, uh, the dreaded experience. Yeah. Man, that was my dreaded experience. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's I've never heard that, but I, I would call it the places that scare you. Sure. Right? Yeah, yeah, same thing. Totally. Yeah. And it's yeah, it's a brave act to have the willingness to go to the places that scare you. Mm. It's brave. And it is the way out. That's the way out. Yeah, no, I think that's really, really deeply true. But that's why I appreciated you saying mm. gentle, the gentle process, because... You don't want to dive into a trauma. Yeah. I remembered my trauma when I was uh, in 2016. I had a dream and then a wow. remembrance. And it happens a lot. Many people, they might be cracking into it now. And if you sense that you might be cracking into something with visual memories or physical experiences, just make sure you get it into therapy in some form. Counselor, coach, be therapist. Soft. yeah. Yeah, get support because when those memories surface, it's, you go right back into it for a little while or for a long while. Or many people just push it down and say, I never want to touch that. Mm. It's been four years now since I've, maybe almost a little over four years now since I've been in recovery from that memory. It's been a lifetime in recovery from it, but recognizing that I am actually working on that has mm. been four years. And I can say to you now that my commitment and devotion to going to the places that scare me is why I'm feeling so free in this moment. If you're listening, he's smiling. Yeah, <laughs> yeah very much so. I, can, I think they could hear your smile. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think so. Yeah, again, I think that's just one of those things that you kind of sit with. And I, I appreciate you doing that and feeling that way because I think that many people are given an opportunity to share in different ways in their lives. And... Sometimes that form of sharing is by being a great mom. Totally. You know, it's by being a great middle school teacher Mm -hmm. or it's by being a great, I know we're in a podcast studio right now, but a a great audio tech or a great recording professional or great whatever, you know, whether it's through your own wise effort or it's through gifts from the universe or it's through however else you want to frame it. I, you know, you have a a platform that can really reach a lot of people and influence a lot of people. And Mm -hmm. I think that the work that you've done internally to get to a place where you can share this kind of stuff very vulnerably, I think is just so important and so impactful for a lot of people. It's kind of funny. I've been on this book tour where like everyone comes to the, particularly TV, but not so much podcast. Podcasts want to go deeper for sure, but 
people come to the interview kind of like, what are your three steps? And, you know, this kind yeah. of thing. And the five minute hit. That's right. And I've just been using this platform this past few weeks, well, really several months leading up to the, this as well, to talk about anxiety, depression, postpartum, trauma, mm. sexual abuse, <laughs> addiction, the, yeah. the big stuff, because I have, I have the platform to do it to yeah. your point, but then also to come back to Super Attractor and talk about the pathway to freedom, mm. because I'm not going to sit here and be a downer talking about all the difficult things yeah, I've been sure. through. I'm going to be a power of example for the freedom that you can have when you practice these principles. And the subtitle of my book is Methods for Manifesting Life Beyond Your Wildest Dreams. Mm -hmm. And while that's true and you will attract everything you desire into your life in forms that are far greater than you can imagine when you practice these principles, and I can really stand behind that in a big way, this isn't a book on how to get things. It's a book Mm -hmm. on how to feel good. Mm -hmm. Because when we make that commitment to feeling good, that's when what we desire starts to come to us naturally. Mm -hmm. As we're wandering into kind of the big topics, the big questions here, the deep stuff, and you just mentioned there, the book fundamentally is about feeling good and learning how to feel good. Yes. And at the same time, you're you're making a real acknowledgement of the power of negative emotion and negative experience and post-traumatic growth and all of that. You know, if you're okay with it, I'd just like to kind of ask you a question about that that has certainly occurred to me recently, and it's about the role of anger. Yes. Yeah. So there's a there's a, a hierarchy given in the book, uh, the Abraham Hicks scale, yes. yeah, emotional, and it's about moving from more negative or challenging states to more positive, fulfilling, uplifting states right. over time. And toward the bottom of the scale, not at the bottom, interestingly, which I appreciated, but toward the bottom of the scale is anger. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a lot of truth to that. Anger can be incredibly corrosive. I'm reminded of the uh, the phrase like getting angry at somebody else is like throwing a hot coal with your bare hands. Both people get burned or like taking poison and waiting for someone else to die, all those wonderful reflections on the negative power of anger. And, you know, at the same time, what about moral outrage? Mm. You know, you were talking earlier about, you look around at the world these days and you go, wow, a lot of this stuff is messed up, man. And it's really traumatizing. And there's an empowering feeling to that sometimes, that stance of morality. I think of marginalized groups throughout history that had their anger taken away from them by other groups of people. And that was a form of control. That was a way to stop those people from getting equality, Mm -hmm. achievement, resources, Mm -hmm. whatever it might be. And so I'm really just kind of reflecting and musing here. And I'm I'm curious what your viewpoint is on that. So I have an interesting viewpoint on anger. I think Mm -hmm. that it's something that I believe we have to allow to move through us in safe environments. So I don't want to be suggesting that everybody go out and start raging everywhere. Yeah, of course. Because that will not benefit their relationships Mm -hmm. or their well-being. But I do want to say, get the rage out. Mm-hmm. In a safe, in a safe way, in a safe environment, in, in therapy, uh, you know, in on a long run, if you're practicing emotional freedom technique, tapping, or whatever you're guided to, whether it be with the guidance of another human or your own spiritual guidance that you're surrendering to, to have a space in your life where you can process your anger. Mm. Because I'm a student of Dr. Sarno, who wrote the book, How to Heal Back Pain and the Mind-Body Prescription. And I'm really studying the work now so that I can teach it authentically. Mm -hmm. But the premise of the Sarno work is that our physical pain is a manifestation of our impermissible rage. Wow. So when we have impermissible rage, anger, fear, trauma, 
that our unconscious mind says, nope, we're not going there. Mm-hmm. Or excuse me, our, you know, it, it's, it's in the unconscious. Yeah, it's but like, the conscious mind, the conscious mind is like, yeah. yeah, no, we're not letting that out. And so instead we project it onto a body part mm-hmm. so that we don't have to actually feel the rage and mm-hmm. anger. But instead we place it onto the back or the jaw or the stomach. And physically what's happening is that there's oxygen that's cut off in that area. Yeah. So there is inflammation and there's actually physical pain. Yeah. But the physical pain is a mask for the emotional disturbance. We just had the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Jim Gordon, who's yeah. centered mind-body medicine yeah. and is just a wonderful teacher of this material and a thinker on the subject. And one of his real reflections was of the physical costs of trauma in the body. And one of the, the big parts of that, as you're naming here, is repressed anger. Yeah. And that fizz in the bottle, to return to the metaphor, yeah. that has not been allowed to surface. And I, I think of friends of mine, particularly, I mean, as listeners know, I'm, I'm a cis white male. And I think of friends of mine from more marginalized groups, whether that be uh-huh. uh, women, that be ethnic minorities, uh-huh. that be religious minorities, whatever it is. And, you know, I'm often touched by their management of anger. Oh my God, you know, I can't like, even I, begin to tell yeah. you how touched I am by them. Yeah. Uh, and I, it, it's one of those things where it's actually kind of challenging for me to find the right language because yeah. it's, a, it's a tough thing to find your way into. But I just look at it for myself and I go, man, I would be flipping tables everywhere. I know, you know it's I mean? interesting to, to hear you say that. In this, in this day and age with you know, things like Black Lives Matter and it's funny, I just drove by, it's good that this is coming up because I just drove by this this big wall and it had a hashtag Black Lives Matter and I just started just contemplating what mm. a movement that has been yeah. and how valuable and important. I mean, I met the woman who started that hashtag and I was like, you at wow, wow. Like, God bless you. Seriously. Woman. And I was thinking about it big time this morning because Kiara, when I sent her off mm. to the flight, had like, for whatever reason, like we had to, like the the, the flight we booked didn't like the, did the charge didn't go through, and then they gave her a really hard time, and then we rebooked, and then by the time she got through security to the gate, they're like, oh, something's wrong here, like this is in a different name, and you know, just going off on her. And my event planner met her at the airport to help sort it out, and then she just went lost her mind and was like, this is a racial issue. United yeah. Airlines, wow. very loud, United Airlines, and just went off on it. And Kiara just sat there, and she's like, yeah, of course it is. Mm-hmm. And she just, you know, it's not that she took it, but it's that she expected it. And and then the woman that was checking people in was listening to Annette, my event planner, screaming at the woman at the front saying, this is a racial, and she's an African-American woman letting people in. She's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thank you for saying what I can't say. And it made me, and then I drove by the Black Lives Matter hashtag and it just made me start thinking about like how unconscious I had been for so many years of my white privilege and I'm, you know, a lot of people started calling out these like white spiritual teachers recently about yeah, your white privilege, yep. your white privilege. And like, you know, I'm not like a big fan of like the aggression and how it's been called out, sure. but they're right. Mm-hmm. They're 100% right. Like there's a, but there, I just want to like tell them like, you're right. And there's like a really powerful way to tell people that, you know, mm. not a shaming way, but, yeah. but they're 100% right. Like I never fully took in what it meant to have white privilege. and. Now I'm like, wow, to your point, like I will flip a table if like someone just, you know, like treats, you know, treats me in the wrong way. Mm -hmm. And it's like to be, to to not have the voice or permission to speak up for yourself and advocate for yourself because you've been racially, Mm -hmm. you know, 
suppressed is is unfathomable to me. Mm. And I am just really proud of where we are in, mm. in this conversation now and that it's yeah. becoming a very important dialogue. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, at first when this, all that stuff started coming out, there was so much attack on, you know, the white spiritual teachers and all that. I got really defensive because we only defend against what we know we're trying to protect, mm. right? Mm. And I was defending, defending. Also, I felt attacked. So when you feel attacked, you're going to defend. Yeah, But sure. right now in this moment, I can say, yeah, you're all right. You're all right. And I'd love to, you know, stay in dialogue with everybody about that and honor it and then just encourage them to keep talking about it, but in a way that's not shameful because when people feel shame, they can't actually own their part. So this is a big thing, you know? It's like, we need to bring more light to these conversations of separation, but we can't expect someone to stop shaming us, us if we shame them. Yeah, there's there's a balance here that, to be perfectly transparent and perfectly honest about it, that I feel ill-equipped to speak to. I am you know too. I mean? I'm not I'm not yeah. equipped to speak to it. I guess I'm just saying like it's an important message that people who have felt that way need to be speaking up about. Yes. And I guess what I would say to anyone who's trying to create a movement, mm-hmm. whatever movement that may be, yeah. do it from a place of love and mm. it will be heard. Yeah. It will be heard. Yeah. And I think, you know, someone who's outraged would be like, how can I have that? And I get that. I understand that completely. Mm-hmm. But you know, there's a lot of people out there like really speaking about very important issues. But when you're so, when you're so in the hate and the rage about it, or, or even, you know, I mean, the, what, the movements that worked, you Gandhi, something. Martin Luther King, yeah. but they were backed with spiritual alignment. They were mm. backed with the core intention of love, not mm. hate. To speak to that intention of love, kind of in your work in general, one of the things, again, to kind of round it out here and take the other side of the coin a little bit, maybe one of the real emphases that you have is on gratitude. Mm. And one of the words that appears in your work a lot is appreciation. You know, as we're speaking here, we're talking about people in challenging circumstances. And I know that you've done a lot of personal coaching, a lot of work in small groups. I actually groups. haven't. Oh, really? Oh, I'm I, so sorry. I, no, yeah. that's okay. I did build my career yeah. working privately with people and working mm-hmm. with groups. But early on in my career, I realized that wasn't the best use of me mm-hmm. because I was being called to work as one to many, not one to one. Mm-hmm. And I have a tremendous amount of respect for my therapist and the people that are therapists yeah. that can do that one-on-one Same. work because it wasn't it wasn't the work that I was called to do and it mm. was very challenging. It's very challenging mm. to get into the weeds with people, you know. Yeah. So I want to give a shout out to the people that do that one-on-one work. Absolutely, thank but anyway, you for that was that. a detour. Um, no, but totally. Yes. But thank you for naming that. I mm-hmm. think it's an important mm-hmm. naming and mm-hmm. um, a good acknowledgement of the people mm-hmm. who are highly skilled inside of that arena. Big work. Yeah, for Big sure. Work. So in the but in the process of doing that, maybe with groups. I'm sure that you've met a lot of people or friends who mm-hmm. come to you and say, you know, Gabby, it's really hard for me to be appreciative right now because of all yeah. the things we just talked about. Yeah. The, the trauma, the disenfranchisement, the whatever. On kind of a practical level, particularly some for somebody who's experiencing those kinds of challenges, how do you try to nudge them into that stance of appreciation? Or what advice do you give about inclining their mind or going into alignment in that mm-hmm. way? Mm-hmm. It's got to be a subtle shift. It can't be a big leap. Mm. So if you're in a place of despair, as you know, with the emotional scale, mm. you can't jump into joy. Yeah. But you can reach for the next best feeling thought. You can reach for the most subtle appreciation. Like let's say everything's fallen apart. 
you have no money, you have no home, you have no, whatever it is, even in those despair moments, Mm. it's the person who does lean into some form of appreciation for whatever it is that they can lean into Mm. that that will get out. Mm -hmm. And when I say whatever it is that they can lean into, it could be something as simple as appreciating that the sun is out today. Mm-hmm. Or appreciating that you have a bottle of water, yeah. you know, and it's really easy for you and I to sit here and be like appreciate things, you know, because we have a lot of privilege. Right? Yeah, but I'm also going to be real and say, you know, I didn't. I, I, I'm a self-made woman and had a lot more than the average person, but didn't have you know the financial support to build a business or anything like that, you know. So it was my appreciation of each mm-hmm. moment that I was in that allowed me to create more. And I often say that. Uh, appreciation attracts more of what you want. Mm. Yeah. As we come toward the end here, there's a question that I like to ask everyone that I talk to. And it's, um, if you don't mind answering it, of course. I'll answer anything. I love you. Well, fantastic. (laughs) I love you too. This has been really lovely. And um, you've reflected a lot during the course of this episode, in your work, in the book, and all the things on the growth that you've experienced as an individual person. And you know, I just have to wonder if if you could go back in time and talk to yourself as a as a child, as a young adult, as whether it's an eight year old, a twelve year old, or a twenty five year old, what would you want to say to that person? What's the message that you would want to leave them with? You are safe. Hmm. It's a big one. Yeah. No, I think that's one that is helpful for me to hear. Is helpful, I think, for a lot of people to hear. And again, is just one of the temples uh, of this book, which is really a wonderful piece of work. So, thank you. you know, Gabby, thank you so much for taking the time here. Thank you. You're so lovely for us. Thank, thank you. you. So nice. So today I had the absolute pleasure of speaking with Gabrielle Bernstein. We began with a conversation focused on Gabby's personal history and her own experience, both as a leader coming fresh off of a book tour stop in San Francisco last night and her own history transitioning into this work as a guide for so many people. She also named a number of blocks and limiting beliefs that tend to get in the way of somebody becoming a super attractor. And at the core of most of those was fear, fear of one kind or another. We talked for a while about how people have an addiction to fear and how fear might be our biological heritage, but it's certainly not the best thing for us when it comes to thriving in our lives today. Gabby responded, I think really thoughtfully to a very natural question around, well, there are a lot of people out there who have incredibly challenging life circumstances and how can they simply choose to feel good? And what she pointed to emphasized the little ways in each of our lives that we can exhibit influence and how we can at the very least often shift the focus of our attention from things that cause us suffering to things that don't. Even if the world around us is incredibly problematic, we can still be free inside our own minds and in our relationship to our own thoughts and feelings. Throughout the conversation, Gabby shared some of her personal struggles and was very open about her own wonderfully human nature. It's really easy for us to look at the person who's up on the stage and think, wow, why can't I just do that? And by breaking that down and humanizing herself, I think that her work has become so much more accessible. From there, we got into some pretty heavy stuff. I talked about how in the book, there was a passage that really spoke to me, and that was about choosing your words carefully and being aware of the energy inside of those communications with other people. From there, we transitioned into a conversation about fear and anger and trauma 
and the ways in which our society is an extremely problematic one and often a very challenging one to live in these days. I shared a thought that I've been pondering on a little bit recently about the rightful versus the not-so-rightful usage of anger as a motivating emotion and the ways in which moral outrage can be a useful tool, but the container in which that moral outrage needs to rest in order for it to be effective as a change tool. And I think that Gabby made some really strong distinctions there. Finally, we closed with a note on gratitude and the ways in which, even in very challenging circumstances, it's possible to shift very subtly toward appreciation. So again, the book is Super Attractor. If you're interested in learning more about the book, I'll be including a link to it in the description of today's episode. Gabby is extremely active on social media. She has a very, very prominent Facebook page, Instagram, and so on. And they're really fun follows. So if you happen to be interested in this kind of material, I would really strongly recommend them to you. If you've been enjoying the podcast, we would also really appreciate it. If you would take a moment to leave a comment, maybe even a positive review, and subscribe to it through the platform of your choice. It really does help us out. So until next time, thanks for listening.